while I was working on this sermon, I think it was like two weeks ago, I was telling my wife, I, I want to talk about this, but there's not really a sequence that makes sense. Usually when I preach, I have three points, an introduction and a conclusion. And, but this message, it's like I was, I was going over it for the past weeks. I'm like, it doesn't, it is not that I can make it that way. I could, but the way I felt in my spirit to share it wasn't in that context. It was just more share my heart and, and share with you all what I see in scripture. Um, and so there's a portion in, in, a portion in the book of John, gospel according to St. John. Chapter 18, um, where it records Jesus' last miracle that pertains to healing. John 18 is going to tell us the last healing miracle Jesus performed. The first miracle Jesus performed was a supernatural miracle where he turned the water into wine at the wedding of Cana of Galilee. That was the first miracle. And this one is the last miracle. Obviously the last miracle, but that's personal. But the last miracle he does in somebody else's one. So to me, that's important. I don't, I don't take those things lightly. Because if you come in, you come up with a bang, and when you leave, you leave with a bang. And so, I know it's an important miracle because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them talked about this. There are some miracles in Scripture where one of the Gospels won't mention, but they all spoke of this one. And it's the miracle, the healing miracle, when Jesus had been prayed, had been praying for an hour, at least an hour. And then he sequestered, and a man by the name of Malchus, with a whole group of people, tried to apprehend the Lord. And Peter takes his sword, and in an attempt to decapitate Malchus, he cuts off his ear. And so, I've heard preachers preach bad about Peter because he cut the ear of Malchus. Which, by the way, John, the Gospel of John, is the only one that tells us. And so, preachers always put down Peter. He should, not, he should never cut the ear. And why he did that? And, you know. Well, the question you have to ask yourself is, why does Peter have a sword? Because last I read the text, Peter was a fisherman. And that when Jesus tells Peter, follow me, Peter abandoned everything and followed Jesus. And now, Peter's with a sword, and he cuts the ear of the man off. So the question I asked myself was, where did Peter get the sword from? 
Because we preach, it's not by power. It's not by might. But by my spirit, says the Lord. Right? So why in the world does Peter have a sword? And you know what I realized in Scripture? The person responsible for Jesus having a sword, for Peter having a sword, is Jesus. Luke chapter 22, Peter has a sword. Verse 22, verses 31 through 38. Listen to the story. Simon, Simon. Simon was Peter's name before Jesus changed his name to Peter. Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen the brothers. Simon, Peter. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you. Now notice, up until this moment, he was calling him Simon. Now he's calling him Peter. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. He said to them, but if you have a purse, take it and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Jesus, there's a little feedback here. Jesus tells the disciples to buy swords. It is written, verse 37, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, we have two swords. And Jesus replied, that's enough. Now, based on John chapter 18, we know that Peter has a sword. The question is, who's the other guy? But Peter has a sword because Jesus told him to buy the sword. He said, as a matter of fact, sell your cloak, sell your garments, but buy a sword. Chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 18. Did I read it already? Oh, no. All right. John chapter 18, verse 1 through 11 says, When he had finished praying, Jesus, on the other side where there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who had betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came into the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They carried torches, lanterns, and weapons. And Jesus, knowing all that was going on to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He said, I am he. And Judas, a traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Talk about power. Wouldn't you like to do that, to say, I'm here, and everybody falls out? 
Jesus said, I am he. And everybody fell to the ground. He asked them again, who is it that you want? And Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. And this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I lost one of those who you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had the sword, Jesus told him to buy, who had the sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And the servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded, put your sword away. Shall I not drink up the cup the Father has given me? Today, I'm going to speak on my tomorrow, you. Today, me. Tomorrow, you. As believers, and if you're here and you don't have Jesus in your heart, we pray that today may be the day that you join the family of Christ. But as believers, we need to understand that being a believer requires of us to live on a, in a different standard. Not that we are better, but to whom much is given, much is required. I believe that it is important for us to realize that this thing called salvation that God has given us freely requires and demands that we live our lives at the, in the heights and in the level of God's standard so that we can become efficient in our walk and create change in our environment. I say that because when I look at Malchus in Scripture, I see what the Lord is trying to teach us this morning. Why would Jesus perform this miracle to be his last miracle? Had I been Jesus, I would have performed miracles that would benefit me. I ain't going to die. Y'all going to die. Lord, he's dead. Here we have a guy by the name of Peter who, by the way, I read to you Luke chapter 22. Jesus tells Peter, the devil is going to sift you as wheat, but I pray that your faith does not fail. And what does Peter say? Lord, I ain't going to do this, and if I got to die, I'll die with you, but no way in the world I'm going to do this. And then he tries to live that out. When they capture Jesus at Gethsemane, and he takes out his sword as if to say, you ain't messing with my Jesus. Now, is there something wrong in protecting Christ? Something wrong. In, I mean, from a, from a natural sense, there's nothing wrong in protecting Christ. If I'm in the service and somebody tries to hit me, you know, <laughs> I 
good luck. Because my security team is going to hurt you really bad. And I'm not going to pray for you after service. <laughs> ah, that's a funny joke. Okay. Here's my point. Here's my point. Here's my point. My point is, if I'm Jesus, which, by the way, Jesus, right before they captured him, here's what he prayed in Gethsemane. Lord, if it is, your, if it is possible, let this pass. Let this cup pass from me. What he's saying is, if it is possible, Lord, I don't want to die. And then here comes a guy by the name of Peter who's trying to And Jesus' approach to Peter contradicted his prayer. Because after Peter takes out his sword, which, by the way, he told him to buy it. Now, now if, if I'm going to buy a sword, I'm going to use it. You tell me to buy a sword. You tell me, if you, listen, listen, when Jesus told Peter and those two guys to go buy swords, it was right before they were going to get captured. And Jesus was warning the disciples, I'm going to get caught, they're going to beat me, they're going to bruise me, they're going to kill me. And he's giving them all this ammunition for them to get ready to rumble. And then when the time to fight comes, he says, yo, what you doing? It's like he threw him out there. And Peter says, you ain't going to touch my Lord. And so he takes out his sword. And by the way, Peter was not attempting to cut his ear. He was attempting to decapitate him. He was out to cut it. And Jesus sees the scenario. Now, 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 instead of hitting his throat or going for his throat, he goes for his ear, cuts his ear off. Jesus takes the time to pick up the ear, dust out the sand, and reinforce reconnected back to his ear. And while he's doing that, he's talking to Peter. But don't you know that if I want, I can call a legion of angels and take care of me? But, but while Jesus is being spiritual, let's analyze Peter. Dude, but you told me to buy it. After I buy it to protect you, now you want to talk about embarrassing me in public? That <laughs> was what he was doing, but Christ knew what he was doing. Now, why did Jesus stop the process of crucifixion? And interrogation and going from Herod to Pilate, from Pilate to the Sanhedrin, from the Sanhedrin back to Herod, and from Herod to Pilate. Why did he stop that and spend time to talk about, I need to restore this man's name, this man's ear by the name of Malchus? Well, first of all, who was Malchus? The Bible tells us that Malchus was the assistant to the high priest. When Jesus sees that Peter cuts Malchus' ear, he stops everything. He says, no, 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 I got to restore this man's ear. Now, here's why. In the times of Christ, the Old Testament, and even in the times of Jesus, up until Jesus resurrected, he changes the protocol of church. This is how church would go. You would have to come to the tabernacle. And bring a sacrifice. Remember that? Old Testament theology? 
you bring a, whether it's a, a, a turtle dove, whether it is a lamb, whether it is a goat, whether it is a bullock, and you would bring an animal, but, but, but you couldn't bring any kind of animal. Whenever you were going to sacrifice something, without blemish, with no bruises, as a matter of fact, you had to take care of the sacrifice from the moment it was born to the moment you sacrificed it to God. You couldn't just go in your little field and pick up the most nastiest sheep, talk about, here's, no, no, no. You had to take care of that sheep because you couldn't give something to Jesus that was not perfect. So whenever I would bring a lamb or I would bring a dove to sacrifice it in the temple, the high priest, to make sure it wasn't handicapped, to make sure it didn't have any spots or blemish, because if it wasn't perfect, they couldn't give it to God. And if that was the rule for an animal, guess what? To work in the tabernacle, you couldn't have any spots, any blemish, any bruises. So when Peter cuts the ear of the servant, he was in the ear of the servant. In the spirit world, what that meant was Marcus no longer had access into the temple of God. Because as a servant of the house of the Lord, the priest couldn't have a cut, couldn't have a bruise, couldn't have a defect because he represented the guy who was going to take that which was perfect and give it unto God. When Jesus sees Malchus' ear on the floor, even though Malchus was there to sequester Jesus, to crucify him, Jesus said, uh-uh. I cannot continue in my crucifixion process and not restore the ear of man because if I don't restore his ear, he will never have access into the temple again. This is Jesus' last miracle. While he's about to die in the hands of a man who's going to betray him, I need to restore him even though I know he's out to kill me. So when we say we want to be like Jesus, do we really know what that means? And so Peter cuts his ear off. Talk about, yeah, I got you. You're messing with my Jesus. And Jesus is saying, Papa, you're doing this to him today, but today, less than 24 hours. Not twice, but three times. And so how you handle this man will determine how I will handle you. That's why, listen, listen to me. I told you all, I'm almost done, I'm almost done, because I told you I don't have three points. I, I told you all, I told you all, church, get ready. Because all, and some of y'all laughed. <laughs> no, I'm passing You ain't laughing now. The devil has attacked many people in this church. Let me tell you, there are people in this church that are under attack right now because you're part of this church. Because the devil is angry because of what God is doing in this place. And the devil ain't happy and he's going to use Peter's who are destined to become revival ministers in the book of Acts chapter 2. But right now, they're so bitter. Now, 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 now. What do you use a sword for? You use a sword for what? 
protection, right? You use a sword to kill. And when I read the book of Ephesians chapter number 6, what does Paul say that the sword is representation of? The Word of God. So how do I translate Peter's scenario to my 21st century reality? Because today, we ain't walking around with swords, right? Anybody got a sword? But there's a worse way to kill somebody, and that is with what comes out of your mouth. What comes out of your mouth? And I think Pastor Ariel talked about in James, in the James series, about this little muscle called the tongue. And so we got to be careful that as we're out trying to find who we can kill, remember this, that in 24 hours, the same judgment I'm using on my neighbor and forgiveness, the same grace I apply will be the same grace I'll receive. Now listen to me. Jesus had an agenda when he came to this planet. And that was to finish the work on, on Calvary. That was to die on the cross. And Peter's posture is, I ain't going to let nobody touch you. I'm going to protect you. And even if I have to kill somebody, because in the natural world, you do me wrong, I do you wrong. Right? In the natural world, you slap me in my face, I'm just going to slap you right back. You talk about my mama, I'm going to talk about your right? That's, that's, that's the way the law of the net. If, 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 if you hit me and I don't hit you back, I'm considered a. But if we want to be like Christ, then we got to apply the rules of the spirit and not the rules of nature. Because if I'm going to be like Christ, then Christ says, if they slap you, how many of you have to go, can you do it again? <laughs> so Peter's action to cut the ear was a good thing to do in the natural realm. But Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus is at the point of transferring from the natural, which is earth, to the spiritual, which is heaven. And he's telling him, in this business, I don't work that way. I work this way. And even if it looks like you're losing, actually winning. Listen to me. So the question is this. How are we going to do what God called us to do. When what, call, when, when what God calls us to do does not, cannot be applied by the laws of the world. Because, because, because Jesus' mission wasn't to heal. Jesus, Jesus did not come to heal the sick. That was the resurrected dead. That was the byproduct of the reason why he came. Jesus didn't come to walk on water. That was the second effects of the reason why he came. But Jesus' primary reason for coming to the world was to die. And if that's his primary reason, well, then he can't let nothing and no one distract him from his reason. Now, 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 listen to me, church. Listen to me, church. Because sometimes God is going to use people to kill you. 
And I'm not talking about literally. Because if they do that, you call 911. Call the cops. <laughs> Sometimes God's going to use people to kill you. And you can't get mad at them because that's God's purpose for your life. That you can say like Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now listen, listen, you cannot have Christ live in you and you live in you at the same time. Somebody's got to die. If now that's abnormal, one of y'all got to live. And so, and so if, if, if we understand that God's desire for your life is to finish in you what he started, to whatever process God has in mind so that at the end of the day, you flesh die and spirit of God in you lives. And if that implies being betrayed, being talked about, being whipped, crown on your head and crucifixion, let it be so because on the third day, you're going to rise up with all power in your hand. Finish what you start. We're living in a generation when people... We're living in a generation where people don't want to finish what they start. Imagine if Jesus said, and get to, Lord, you know, I said I was going to come and die for them, but after all this is going on, could you just like hook it up? No, no. Jesus said, Lord, if it's your will, pass this cup. But then he remembered the purpose, and he said, not my will be done, but yours. Listen to me. We need to finish what we start. Remember that everything, I'm sorry, remember that every beginning should have an ending. Church is full of people that start stuff, and when things get tough, they quit. You can use me, Pastor. I'm right here. Two weeks later, where you at? If you're going to start something, finish it. If you said amen to a thing, finish it. If you said yes to your spouse, don't leave them because things are bumpy, finish it. Got to finish it. Now, we think that if we finish, the problem with us is we think that if we finish first, we win. Some of us start things to finish first. And once we say somebody got there before us, I quit. I ain't going to make it. I ain't going to get a trophy. But that's not how this came. It's not a matter who finishes first. Listen, the ancient Greeks, Greek race in the Olympics they used to have. The winner wasn't the one who came first. It was the one who finished with the torch still lit. It's not a matter who makes it first. It's that at the end of the day, you've been running and you've been struggling and you've been in pain and you've been crying and you've been suffering, but you're still on fire for Jesus. That is and this is how I want to finish my Christian walk with Jesus. I'm not after being the church of the biggest church. I'm not after being the pastor of the man. I, I just want to make it with my torch on fire. I don't want to let the fire die simply because I didn't make it first in the race. If my fire goes out, will my walk with the Lord just be another unfinished project? Listen to me, church. Don't let your fire burn out. 
Don't enter into a competitive, competitive spirit that says, I got to have it first. I got to buy it first. I got to get it first. I got to have it first. Because God don't operate in that spirit. God operates in the spirit of be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. You'd be surprised how many Christians operate this way. They start out vowing to read their Bibles only to get sidetracked doing something else instead. How many people said this beginning of January, I'm going to read the entire Bible. You only read two verses. People have started out in ministries only to give up when things get rough. Someone once said the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Jesus' purpose was to finish what he started. My second point, Jesus showed his by not showing his power. You read the scripture. What are you guys doing here? We're here to catch Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. Pat, they all fell down. He had power. He showed power. But the greatest power he exhibited was in when they fell, was when he let them capture them, knowing that he had the power to knock them all out. He withheld his great power for his own benefit. And some may think that Jesus was so powerful that he could have saved himself and they had this debacle. If Jesus had the power, why didn't he do it? Because he didn't come to exhibit power. He came to exhibit forgiveness. He came to exhibit restoration. He came to exhibit love. And if we're going to be like Christ, so listen, listen, sometimes, sometimes, oh, I got to say up here. Sometimes, Sometimes you have something on somebody that you could mm, you say, son, I'm going to post this up real quick. But what makes you powerful is not when you exercise that power, but when you refuse to exercise the power. That makes you powerful. That speaks about your character. It speaks about your, you as a person. That you know that you know that you have what it takes to destroy somebody, yet you say, mm. Philippians chapter 8 to be equally with God, but he humbled himself and took it. He had the power to be like God, but while he came to the planet, he said, I'm not going to exercise all of my power because I came to do something here which was become nothing so that you and I could be like Christ. And when we, he became nothing and went to heaven, God gave him a name that was greater than any name on heaven and in earth. What am I telling you, church? You've got to be willing to give up your right. You got to be willing to give up your power. You got to be willing to say, Peter, put that sword away. I know you could kill him, I know you could tear him up, but this is not what we're all about. We're about loving people, even if they hurt us in the process. We're about forgiving people, even if they hurt us in the process. Now, I would like to know the conversation this guy Malchus had at the dinner table that night. The savior of the world, and instead of killing him, he restored him. See, that's, that's, that's the part, don't pick it up. That's the part of the scripture that the Bible doesn't talk about. Because you and I become that person. That's, that's the part of the gospel that God doesn't talk about. Because God gives us room to think, what would you do if you was Malchus restored by the mighty hand of God instead of killing you? What would you do if the same God that made everybody fuck your ear but destroyed you, yet he stood there and restored you knowing that he had the power to kill you? That's the power of this thing we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is calling us this way. He is calling us to live this way. Now, now which way is easier to live? 
You do me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong back. And let me tell you, church, I don't presume to be holier than you. Some people do me wrong, and I want to hit back. Some people do me wrong, and I want to get back at them. Your pastor, honey, can, you get, can I get an amen? Okay. Your pastor's not perfect. I'm not perfect. But when I submit myself to the will of Jesus Christ, and I say, Lord, give me the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, help me to be humble because I don't want to be humble. Sometimes you just want to fight back. Lord, 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 because tomorrow is him. Today is him, but tomorrow is me. And when I treat people, I think of that. When the next time somebody does you wrong, here's the attitude you have to have. This is him today. How would I want somebody to treat me if I was? And when you operate with that mentality, you operate in love. You operate in forgiveness. You operate in second chance. But if you don't see it that way, you see your kind ears left and right. But when you operate Christ's way, Christ's way. Because at the, listen to me, at the end of the day, whoever does you wrong, this is what's crazy. That whoever does you wrong, And you might see him as a child of the devil, but God sees him as a child of God. And the same love that God has for you is the same love he has for the one that's doing you wrong. And so now my perception has to be, Lord, allow me to see him the way you see him. That while he's doing me wrong, and while she's doing me wrong, I can take that ear and restore his hearing so that when I speak into that person's life, I speak restoration while they're still speaking hurt after, against me. This is the part of being a nobody wants to be. Everybody wants to be naming and claiming. Grab it is yours. Victory is mine. Touch your neighbor. High five them. But this is Christianity. This is the gospel. Relax. So what happens to Peter? He cuts his ear. Jesus told Peter, you're going to deny me three times, bro. Nah, I ain't going to do it. You're crazy. I got you. And he began to curse the Lord. He began to deny the Lord. And the Bible says that he wept bitterly. What did Jesus do when he rose from The Bible says... When Jesus rose from the dead, Mary and Martha went to the, to the tomb. And they confused, I'm going to preach this one day, and they confused Jesus to be a gardener. Oh, ain't that all? That's a message in itself. They confused Jesus. And Jesus finally reveals himself to these girls, his mom. And look at what happens. The girls were excited that Jesus was alive. And Jesus tells Mary and Martha, go tell the disciples and Peter that I am alive. Right before, make sure, make sure Peter's in the 12. And he specifically mentioned Peter. You know why? Because this implies that Peter was not with the group of 12. In other words, as you get Bartholomew, 
as you get Nathan, as you get Matthew, as you get the disciples. Make sure you go into a little crack hole over there where Peter's at because he betrayed me three times. And I want you to let them know that I call them by name. Because the same forgiveness I gave to Malchus is the same forgiveness I'm giving to Peter. And Peter comes to Jesus. And Jesus tells Peter, asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? Knowing that Jesus, no, he denied him three times. Jesus asks him, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know I love you. And then he asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And then Jesus asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Master, you know all things. And Jesus tells Peter, lead my flock. For every betrayal was an expression of love. And I, think, I don't know how, but... And what happens after that? Yesterday was Malchus. Today was Peter. Tomorrow was the Jews, Acts chapter 2. And now Peter's approach of Christ is different. So here's, here's, here's the takeaway. We're leaving and we'll go home. What are people doing to you today that is causing you pain? And the next question you have to ask is, how am I going to treat that person today so that when my tomorrow comes, I can receive the grace I was given? The Bible says in the book of Romans, and I'm done. Mine is vengeance, says the Lord. I will repay. And every time people hurt us, we say that. Yeah, God, kill them. You say, kill them, God. Because, Okay. But that verse is preparing the way for the main point in the book of Romans chapter 12. And the book of Romans chapter 12's main point is verse 21, where Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God says, let me take care of vengeance. Because here's what I'm going to do for those that do you wrong, because I love them as much as I love you. Here's how I'm going to do you wrong. I'm going to restore their ears. Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of that. You do good for evil. And, and, if we, and if we get that, if we get that, if we get that, if we get that as a church, that's why this church is a place of hope. If we get that as a church, I promise you, I pro that's why the devil hates us. That's why the devil hates us. Because we've made up in our minds and in our hearts that we will give hope to every person that walks through those doors. But Christianity will force us to give up our right to cut ears and lay down the sword. And the same God who said buy it says don't use it. That's having the power but not using the power. That's the glory of the gospel. That God gives us power. He says don't use it. Stay humble. I know you could tear them up from the flow up. Don't do it. Pray for them. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So church, 
let's love let's forgive if we don't forgive we will not be healed and if we're not healed we cannot heal people you have to be healed first to heal others so let's love till it kills us let's forgive till we can't no more because somewhere in forgiving and loving we begin to die and we can say like Paul said I no longer live but Christ lives in me and the life I now live I live to the glory of